Okay, gang, we'll get started. Welcome to our virus-free uh, uh, auditorium here. <laughs> we, uh, we have a lot to cover, we have a lot to show you. My name is Jim Galanti, and I'm, the, uh, I'm with the Ease Council, and our, my two associates, uh, Rob and Dave, are also seated on the Ease Council. Um, we have a lot of information we want to share with you um, about what we do. Uh, first, just a little bit about what the Ease Council is. It is a group of 17 manufacturers that manufacture equipment to a large measure that's based on its ergonomic justification. And there's everything in that group from conveyors to lift tables, casters, wheels, almost any type of material handling equipment that interfaces with a human being sits on the East Console. About 50 different technologies are represented. And these are companies that you're familiar with. There's overhead hoists, there's lift tables. There is just a, a, a really good variety of products. And the nice part about the East Console is when you come to the console and you look for a solution to a material handling problem, the, the nice thing is that we're selling you, we're selling you what the what the manufacturers offer. If, if you go to a hoist manufacturer, he's gonna sell you a hoist. <laughs> if you go to a lift guy, he's gonna sell you a lift. But when you come to a trade organization like ours, you're looking at a variety of different products and we've learned over the years that there's usually more than one solution to a material handling problem. So all of these technologies are represented by the Ease Console members. So until automation does it all, this is what we wanted to talk about. We want to apply good ergonomics to protect those workers now. If, if we go back to, 19, to the early 1980s, you'll remember that there was the, the factory of the future, the dark factory, there would be no employees in there, that everything would be automated. Well, that was a great dream, but it never really came true because we've learned over the years, whether you're manufacturing uh, chairs, tables, automobiles, or tanks, that you have to have human beings. And human beings are versatile, and they do a lot of things that automation can't do. So we know that the, the changeover to automation is, is, is painful. Uh, we'll use the car as a good example. When we talk about a car, you say, well, there's going to be autonomous vehicles. There will be someday, but how long is it going to take to get there? Are you worried, uh, are you worried about your investment in today's automobile? The automobile industry is booming. They've never been more booming than they are right now. When we look at uh, the seven-year leases, it's driven automotive sales to new heights. So the studies, the reports, everything you read says, well, autonomous vehicles are coming. But the driverless cars got a long way. The first 90% of getting there was pretty easy. The last 10% is pretty difficult. When you think about an autonomous vehicle having to make a decision, does it, does it hit the tree or does it hit the child? It has to make that decision. It can't do anything other than hit one of the other. That's a decision humans can make. The computer has a very hard time with it. So will it happen? Yes, in our futures it will. 
but we know that it's not going to happen as quickly as we thought. And there's what the message is today, that automation might not be for everyone because the decision to automate is a very difficult decision. It's expensive, it's complex, it's inflexible. It's inflexible in the way that when, when products are changing, uh, look at the beverage industry, for instance. We go back 15 years in the beverage industry, they were dealing with about 30 different SKUs. Right now, in a uh, PepsiCo warehouse, they're dealing with over 1,000 SKUs, 1,000 different types of beverages. So when we look at the automation that would deal, say, with beverages, We've got to have a lot of flexibility. The resources, the maintenance is a huge issue. <laughs> when you think about the maintenance man with the tool belt and the little cart, well, the maintenance man for automation is wearing dockers, he's carrying a laptop, and he's making well into six figures. That maintenance man is very different from the maintenance man we know today. And we have to understand that's a, a big, big factor in, in buying automation into a, into a factory. And then finally, the return on investment. Measuring the return on investment is very difficult. And when we get into automation, if the system is running the way it's supposed to, you can calculate the ROI. But we all know that things go bump in the night and things don't work the way they're supposed to. So, we encourage automation. We're not against it. The East Council members are not against automation. We, we know that it contributes to efficiency, capacity, consistency, and predictability. It solves all kinds of ergonomic problems. It solves the worker interface problem. It's a very good thing. There's one example that we use, I won't name the company, but they built a two, a two million square foot factory. The idea was to process, uh, and it was e-commerce, to process 150,000 orders a day. It's a brand new factory on the East Coast. We talked to the facility manager, they tested every possible scenario. They looked at all types of material handling systems to meet their goal. When they finished, every carton was going to be touched by a human being seven times. They had 3,000 people working in this automated warehouse to achieve their 150,000 packages a day. So can automation work? Yes, it can. But automation needs to work in concert with people. The other way to look at this is say, well, what do we need to do today? Well, if we look at rearranging, just say a pallet rack. Everybody's familiar with pallet rack. And as you see up here in this picture, this is pallet rack as we see it today. And when we look at that pallet rack and we say, well, we need to get those cartons out of that bottom row. Imagine the robot that would be needed to reach in and get into that bottom row and get out those cartons. But what if we took that pallet rack and rearranged it so it was more consistent with a human being doing the work? That pallet rack would look very different. 
We would elevate the pallets up off the floor. We would allow access to the backside where you could walk around behind the rack. We'd elevate it up off the floor and we'd raise the crossbar so that the worker could step in and pick the packages up. Now, if we go to automation, that same rack that we've now reconfigured for the human being is also reconfigured for the robot. So when we look at work cells, process, what the humans are doing, we look at the work and we say, well, let's design it so that it's consistent with a worker. And then if we do go to automation, it'll already be there. We know that we can improve the productivity, the quality, the capacity, that it's safer and well-being is there to increase the job satisfaction. Everything that we do to improve the workplace is a benefit for the worker today, and it's also there stage for automation. When we look at the roadmap produced by the MHI, one of the things that is in there that is prevalent throughout it is when are you going to go to automation? And the answer is always the same. Good question. We don't know. We haven't taken the leap to automation. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and even then it's not going to happen all at once. But the roadmap also said the most, the, 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 the most proposed solution was automation, but it was the most difficult question to answer. So when we go out into the real world, this is what we find. We have people doing manual material handling tasks, and, we, and they're still waiting for management to make a decision on how to help them. So if you're not ready to make that leap to automation, what we want you to go away with today, the message today, is do something. Do something now. Do something now to help your workers. And I think we can show you how. This gentleman's going to show you how. Rob Jordan is an expert in his field, and he's going to show you how we do it. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> so <clears throat> manual loading and unloading of pallets is one of the most common uh, causes of injury, uh, back injuries, muscle strains, etc. Um, you know, every time they're manually loaded, you're putting a lot of strain on your lumbar back. Uh, there's a lot of ways to fix that. You know, Jim talked a little bit about opening up the picking slots. If you don't have space to do the option we show here on the right that was in Jim's earlier slide about giving access to the back of the rack as easily as to the front of the rack, there's a lot of solutions that take away the need to restructure your entire warehouse. Putting simple pallet positioners inside of a row, um, most of which can also raise and lower with the weight of the product on them, means your operator can move the product to them instead of going to the product, and also they don't have to bend and strain as much. If you have the space, spreading the pallets out so everyone can access everything safely is a great option. 
load positioners, not only good for pallet racking locations, but the end of conveyor lines, the end of any kind of assembly process. Anytime you can eliminate your operators having to bend or walk around. Um, there was a study done, I think it was probably two, three years ago now, um, that when operators are loading or unloading pallets, almost 60% of the time they spend loading and unloading pallets, it's completely non-value added. It's just walking to one side of the pallet or back to the other side of the pallet. With a pallet positioner, you can rotate that pallet to you, and the work height's always in that comfortable, you know, 42 to 52 inch range. There's the study I was talking about. Okay. Vacuum lifter is another great option. Um, a lot of times, these days you can even get vacuum lifters that go from the side. Um, vacuum lifters allow you to lift that product without having to bend in case you have to stack above what a pallet positioner can do, for example. Um, more and more of our workforce these days, with the unemployment as it is, our older and more obese workers, non-traditional workers, you know, in the old days. Um, so a, a lifting solution like this can take a lot of strain off of that type of person. Um, productivity gains can be huge. Um, pallet positioners don't only have to be stationary. Uh, there are options where the pallet positioner can work with a walk-behind forklift. That way the top level of what you're working on is always in that comfortable ergonomic zone. Pallet positioners can be adapted to an order picker. Um, you know, there's a newer style, European style of order pickers that are available in the marketplace these days as well, where the forks actually rise up to the operator, but that's a very expensive solution. A solution like this allows your order picker to always be able to pick from the rack, place it in the order picker, as the weight builds up, that pallet goes down, so they're always turning and never bending. Another low-cost solution is a manual turntable. You know, we talked earlier about the pallet positioners. Some of those can get very pricey, very automatic, but there's also very manual solutions. A solution like this, if you're not packing anything super heavy, is very good. You can put the light boxes down and just turn it with your foot so you're always working right there without spending that 40% of your time to walk around the pallet. Pallet rotators are another one. We've all gotten that pallet in before that's got you know, four feet of product on it and the bottom corner box has been hit by a forklift on the trucking lines. A pallet positioner will allow you to flip that over, remove that one box, repackage it, flip it back over, or flip it over if you have a pallet of mixed product and you want to reposition from the bottom. Uh, talked about vacuum lifters earlier. It used to be very inconvenient. They had to lift from the top of the box. There's a lot of attachments available today. Uh, you can lift from the side of the box. Um, you know, bags of product, pails of product. Um, you know, there's a lot of stackers these days that can reach you know, multi-levels of pallet racking. Um, you know, very good, you don't need you know, forklift space between your rows anymore. You don't need side access forklifts. You know, lightweight aluminum stackers are very maneuverable. Um, not only very uh, maneuverable, but they're also corrosion resistant, which is good in a lot of applications. There are powered two-wheel hand trucks. 
you can use product like this in very tight quarters. Uh, anywhere you could use a traditional hand truck, now you can lift product as well. Um, again, taking the strain out of people's backs. Um, skid lifters, both manual and powered. Of course, the manual ones require the old, you know, pump it up like the old hand trucks. Um, you know, we, uh, we do always put this warning up here. They're only for skids and pallets with open bottoms. And, you know, you'll know why the first time one of your operators rolls that in a traditional pallet and then keeps lifting it even though they hear the cracking noises and before you know it, everything's falling everywhere. Um, more and more these days, one of the big buzz things, I'm sure there's presentations going on this week on this exact topic, but more and more people are going to forklift-free facilities. It's a lot safer a lot more ergonomic in most cases. So more and more people are moving to towables, mother-daughter type carts. Um, you know, we'll talk about some of those applications in uh, Dave's part of the presentation. Even within work cells these days, a lot of people use the lifts. Again, it's all about getting the work into the comfortable working zone of your operator so the operator doesn't have to bend over. So you can actually use a traditional standard cart in a tow line. When the cart gets to its operating position, you can put it on the lift table. Lift tables are not limited to straight up vertical lift tables as well. Uh, there's tilters, turntables, these are all built into carts. As you walk around the show today, I'm sure you'll find a lot of cart manufacturers with these type of product on display. Many of them were listed on the, member, the Ease membership list which I believe there's a copy of in the back of the room if anyone wants to grab one on the way out. Freestanding work cranes, another good option when heavy lifting is often required. Um, gives you a lot more control of your product as long as you have the overhead space and clearance to add it in. Um, there's single and double girder cranes. Uh, these work well if you have space to mount the girders up above but you don't have the the open floor space to put in a workstation crane. And then of course monorail systems and aluminum modular cranes, another option you can put in. Again, anything to reduce the repetitive lifting operations. Lower cost options, there are pillar and wall mount jib cranes. You can mount those over at pretty much any workstation. And most of these go in conjunction with some of the stuff I've listed before. Obviously, if you have a vacuum lifting system, you'll still need a jib or wall mount or workstation type system to operate your, your vacuum lifting system. Uh, a big thing, of course, is properly positioning everything in the plant. You know, the ergonomics charts are notorious for basing everything on the 90th percentile woman and the you know, fifth percentile man and making sure everything's within this work range, but this work range doesn't work for everybody in here. We all have our own comfortable work range. That's why you'll see a lot of, you know, sit to stand desks these days, but not only that, sit stand workstations that are adjustable based on your operator height. Again, some of these solutions are more costly than others. Um, that's why we're listing a, a big variety of options throughout this presentation. Almost half the benches sold today are powered benches. Again, flip of a switch, they raise themselves to whatever level is comfortable for the operator. One thing that's interesting that I've learned in years during ergonomics, and that is 
if you tell the operator they can raise and lower this to whatever feels comfortable for them, sometimes what they think is comfortable is not ergonomic. It's actually very important to make sure that your operators know what a good posture is, what a good work height is. Because some of them, you know, oh, my back's bothering me, I'm gonna lower the workbench down so I can work hunched over. They're just exacerbating the problem. All right, and Dave's gonna bring us home here. Thanks. As a guy from Cincinnati, we would say rounding third and headed for home and the, the Reds are gonna win another one, but we know that that doesn't happen a lot anymore. We keep hoping next season. Uh, how many of you guys uh, that are not caster guys do Kaizens at your workplace or improvement things, okay? And so, so I wanna just tie in everything you've heard and what you're still going to hear into this. And that is, my experience is the best solution is gonna come from a group, a team, that has some access to know what the possible is. What is out there that can, that can help us improve? And the whole theme of this presentation is to broaden your horizon, hopefully, so you can say, oh, I didn't know this stuff was around. Even though it's been around for a while, it's hard to know all the stuff that's out there. It's why we have a Modex or a Promata next year. It's why we have all this eclectic group of providers of stuff, solutions, things, uh, and so forth. So, uh, by the way, anybody else have trouble hiring anybody? Yeah, and, and so there's a perpetual challenge, it seems, to hire people, to hire people, to, I won't even ask about hiring skilled people, just hiring people is hard. And so what that means is, probably to you as much as it is to me, we gotta keep the ones we have healthy, that makes sense? We can't afford an injury. Yeah, the workers' comp costs are high, but boy, the worst part might be missing a skilled, trained, or least trained person, missing a body that I can't replace. All right, I gotta figure out how this works. I'm going the wrong way. Now that was not right. The big green one, yeah, the one right in front. All right, so when stuff comes in to your place, to my place, to any of our places, it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and things. And some of them are more conducive to emptying and using than others. So we look at things like this, and that might be hard to get at. Uh, we saw some equipment that'll help us get into something like this. But think about the people that have to handle and empty, and then in some cases fill these things. And what we end up with is postures that look like this. Whether they're starting to fill and empty, or they're finishing to empty one that came in full. And, and so this, if you didn't know, that's a bad posture. Anybody else had a back problem? I mean, I have back issues, and, and back issues are no fun, I'll just tell you. Uh, th this just doesn't look good, right? That, that's, that's the kind of posture that if, if we don't experience it, if we see it in our workplace, we should take note and say, ah, red flags, bells should sound over our heads or whatever, you know, something should tell us an alarm that, all right, maybe, maybe Joe here didn't get hurt today, but over time, Joe ain't gonna get her done. Okay, so we gotta pay attention to that stuff. Uh, and so there's stuff out there, it's not super high tech, it's not 
computerized necessarily, but it works and it raises the load so that Joe, or this might be Bill, different guy, doesn't have to bend over. And these spring things work when the load is the same each time. And these other kind of lifts may be more desirable, uh, not with a spring, but with a hydraulic system when the load changes, right? We need to change uh, what we're doing. So here's, here we're back to Joe, bending over, or, wow, you could have one of these things. And now as this thing empties out, he doesn't have to bend over. It keeps cranking up and, and it's like, wow, um, just know that this is out there. Know that these things exist and you can get them. All right, so here's the, the mother-daughter. So Rob talked about mother-daughter and the forklift-free zones. A lot of people, they're not eliminating their forklifts, but they're getting rid of forklifts around people. And so this thing uh, not only can roll the cart up, but now we can tilt the cart so the person that's gonna empty it or fill it can get to it. And so this device uh, that we're looking at here, really cool because it lifts, it can tilt, uh, and it's all controlled by the operator. And he can stop it wherever he wants to. Saves a lot of backs, a lot of be uh, reaching in. All right, and I think we could watch this for another 20 minutes. It will look the same, okay? So we'll move on, maybe. Okay, so uh, you might make a product where the product is like the thing that gets filled or needs to be tilted up. So in this case, here's a product where tilting it up makes it a lot easier for the guy who's installing the electronics or the stuff that goes on the inside. So you don't want to be this guy having to put something in over here. You'd rather be this guy where it raised up and it's right there for him to work on. So again, makes sense. It's a lift device, lift and tilt. But now we're not tilting a container, we're tilting the product. Carts and platform trucks, they're everywhere. Anybody not have any of these kinds of things in your workplace? You probably have something. It may have a shelf, it may be a two-wheel hand truck. Uh, it, could, it could look like a, a platform truck, we call it. Any of these things. Here's some important things that, to know. First of all, there's many, many things out there. You'll see them up and down the rows of the show here at Modex. The other thing is, if you don't find something that scratches your itch, that fits exactly what you need, maybe it's by size, maybe it's by height, maybe it's by uh, who knows what, it can probably be designed for you and for not too much money. So it, yeah, custom things cost more, but sometimes they're the best thing because they fit exactly what, what you need at your workplace. One of the things that uh, we've learned in this, that I'm, I'm gonna give credit to, I'll have to say the Ohio State University, you know when you say, and I'm from Ohio, right? So you can't say Ohio State like I did growing up, it's the Ohio State University. They have a tremendous ergonomics research group within Ohio State, the Ohio State University. And what, what they did recently for, for the Bureau of Workers' Comp or the workers' insurance in the state of Ohio, which is a state-run thing uh, in, in Ohio, is they did a, an ergonomic study on push-pull. And one of the things they found in terms of handle height is that 48 inches is about the right height, regardless of the size of the person. Believe it or not, it almost sounds incongruous. It still doesn't make sense to me, but research is research, right? And so what they said is a 48 inch high handle is actually the best height, and most of us are used to handles a lot smaller. So if you look at this lady here, 
that's a lot lower than 48. That guy looks good when he's not pushing, but when he's got to push that thing, it's not going to look good. I don't know how big he is, uh, height, but that handle's too low. And so this hand, all these handles are lower than the Ohio State University research would argue. So one of the things to think about is, what's my handle height? And can I get a special handle? The answer, yes, you probably can. Uh, don't overload things. Uh, that should be obvious. Uh, one, of the th one of the things that all of us caster guys uh, struggle with is, is people understanding capacity, load capacity, and what kind of wheel or caster to buy. Um, this says, and I, I talked about the research, 36 to 45, it's actually a little higher, 48 inches. This is kind of an ergonomic slide. Uh, the big thing on, on pushing and pulling stuff is about the wheels, about the wheels. So I saw a lady pushing water by out here on the carpet. Now, there's almost nothing, nothing worse than carpet, maybe sand, like if you had to push something in the beach, on the beach. It would be in the beach, right? Uh, it would dig in and you couldn't push it. So uh, carpet out here is, is really a bad deal. Now, her load wasn't too, too heavy, and I could tell, even though the handle height was nowhere near 48, she was not straining. I could tell by her posture she wasn't straining to push uh, a couple cases of water. But uh, the whole thing is about the wheels, so we're going to get into wheels. There are lots of wheels out there. If you, if you just look at the wheel, the booths that have wheels, uh, I don't know, there could be 10 or 12 of them maybe here at Modex, you'll find more wheels than you knew could exist in size and in type of material and, and probably what you would think is my head is swimming. How would I have any idea what kind of a wheel to pick? And that's why manufacturers, like some represented in the East Council, are around to help because the wheel makes all the difference when you're pushing a load, we'll say on concrete or on a hard floor. So it's all about the wheel. It's about two things. It's about the material. So that's a soft rubber wheel. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be smooth. It's going to cushion the load. It's also going to be hard to push if you have much weight on it. On the other hand, if you get a hard plastic or a metal, a nylon wheel or a metal wheel, now it's going to be the easiest to push if it's bigger uh, diameter. It's going to be easier to push than a rubber wheel, but it's going to be louder. And it might mess up your floors, depending on the material. Uh, forged steel wheels are great. They'll, they're almost indestructible, but they also can wipe out concrete floors. And you generally don't want to do that all the time. All right, so some applications to think about. And, and I took these pictures uh, at our place, and they were staged photos, and they were staged before the Ohio State University. So I said that's a good application. Uh, Keith Botts, that's his name, is a pretty small guy. He's probably about yay big. Uh, so that handle should be higher, just saying. Uh, but that's better than this. And you know, sometimes those things happen on our shops. Stuff to look for. Don't let that happen. This is pretty simple. Here's Tom. Uh, he can work on stuff that's up here, or he can work on stuff that's down there. Sadly, for a lot of years, we were doing stuff that was down there. I mean, that's, and we make this stuff, right? So it's like shame on us. Uh, here's a case of the size of the wheel. So I've tried to show you, uh, especially where you have a ledge or, or some sort of a, an obstacle, a small wheel is like impossible. And, and so Rodney, that's the guy here, that's Rodney. Uh, Rodney would much rather uh, push a bigger wheel over a ledge than a smaller. Now, I staged this. I said, Rodney, look like you're working hard. 
that was not moving when that picture was taken. In fact, there's a dock there. I didn't want it to move because he would have rolled off the dock and into the pit, so that, that would have been bad. But you can see what poor applications look like, you can tell by the posture of the person. If you don't know, just look at the person when they're working and you can probably tell. Here's a lady that's got to unload paint. Uh, boy, having something that hydraulically lifts paint, if you've ever had to lift, even a gallon is, is fairly heavy. But four gallons in a case, that gets to be some real weight. She could actually have this thing up closer and just slide it over. She could actually help herself out a little bit more than she is. But having this, it's a lot better than having cases on a two-wheel hand truck and I got a lift from, from a low level. So we have, as Rob pointed out in some of his slides, these things come, you get a cart, and it's got automatically uh, a lift device on it. And, and these things can be pushed around and are easy to use. Uh, just access the stuff in racks. Wow, have rollers. I mean, how easy is it to slide this carton off when it's on rollers than if it's not? If I've got a tug, especially at the bottom level, have rollers, easy. These things are gravity fed. So these are kegs or containers of, of beer in this case. And that's probably heavy, right? So if you haven't consumed much lately, this could be painful. If you have consumed it, you'll probably get it screwed up, right? And then the whole idea of carton flow and a, a flat shelf versus uh, one that has a slope to it and is gravity fed. Uh, not only is it ergonomically easier, but it's quicker. The, the whole point of this slide is that it's, you, you can, you, your average pick time goes 60%. So the answer isn't always do the safest because it's the right thing to do, although maybe if you're a safety guy, that's, that's your perspective. But if you're the production guy, it might be faster, too. And it's like, oh, there's another good reason. It's faster, it's more efficient, and it's safer. Double bonus. All right, so all the stuff we've talked about are in brochures, is in brochures, whatever. It's in brochures in the back. If you didn't pick one up, you may want to pick one up on the way out. We have uh, about seven or eight minutes. Uh, by the way, I, I, when I talked about wheels, one other thing you should know, bigger wheels, easier to push than little wheels bigger wheels. Uh, and one last bit of advice for the people that select the wheels. So we talked about don't overload the cart, right? Or don't overload the wheels on the cart. Here's the thing about wheels and carts and ergonomics. When you look at any manufacturer's website or catalog or booth here at Modex, and you say, ah, that little four inch diameter wheel will hold my load. And it will, if, it, if you're, the math works out. But you might think about the poor guy that has to push the load on those four wheels. It can be a lot harder than, say, an eight-inch wheel. And by the way, the, the math works out, the physics, so that you double the size of the wheel, you cut the push force roughly in half. So what might take 40 or 50 pounds to push on a four-inch wheel might only take 20 to 25 pounds on an eight-inch wheel. Eight-inch wheel might be way more capacity load-wise than you need, but it may make a whole lot more sense for the poor guy or gal that has to push it. So you can think in terms of what I would call the ergonomic load capacity, or what's it take to push this thing under load, this wheel? The data's out there. You can go to the manufacturers, especially the, the Ease folks, and we can help guide you to wheels that make sense, not just to fit the load, but the ergonomics of pushing that load. All right, there is a few minutes 
left for questions. Anybody have any? That either means we were incredibly boring, or I'm going to go with we were incredibly informative. And every, everybody got it. It was so well presented. The material was so perfect that there was nothing to ask. If <laughs> that's the case, thanks for coming. We do appreciate your presence. Hopefully, you've got some takeaways. You walk out of here with something that you didn't have when you walked in. I want to add one thing really quick to what Dave said. In general, it's true, like an eight-inch wheel is going to push twice as easily as a four-inch wheel if you're using the same wheel type. Um, both Dave's company and our company, um, most any you know, manufacturer here, one of the things that we do is we work with the materials. So in some cases, if you're limited, for example, limited to the overall height you can have, uh, we just did one application where we were able to reduce the push force by 50% and go from a six inch wheel down to a four inch wheel by changing wheel material. So it is possible. Um, if, if you're limited in capacity, you know, talk to someone who can help you out from an engineering standpoint. That's what we're all here for. And uh, one last thing I wanted to add, uh, we didn't talk about pricing, but most of the equipment you've seen is re relatively low prices. Uh, you saw the roller rack in the, mm -hmm. in the pallet, you saw the rollers in the pallet rack. The pallet rack is already there. All that you're adding is the racks with the rollers in it. They're relatively inexpensive. So most of the things you saw in the presentation today, and if you download this presentation off of the MHI website, you can contact any of the manufacturers. But these are relatively inexpensive solutions to a lot of material handling problems. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.